Uh, the coming weeks, we are going to be in the, the book of Isaiah. We're looking at Christ in Isaiah. Uh, a lot of times, this time of year, you preach through Matthew or Luke or the Christmas story. We're going to go back a little bit farther and see the prophet Isaiah and what he saw about the coming Messiah. Uh, a couple weeks, my family will be gone to Oklahoma, and your own Matt Andrews, your exterminator by day and youth pastor by night, will be preaching. And I hope you're excited for that. Matt recently went through an ordination process, which means the deacons voted on him, and we will be doing an ordination for him after the new year. So get excited for Matt, and I think you have a baby due sometime soon, maybe just a little bit. Lots of babies coming around this place. I invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 6, though. You know, some of the best quotes, or perhaps some of the worst quotes, come from Hollywood actors. I don't know if you've ever done a Google search about Hollywood actor quotes, uh, but this one from Brad Pitt, which came out a couple years ago, really kind of frames what we're going to be looking at, this God of details, Christ in Isaiah. Brad Pitt, who I believe is from Springfield, is he not? Uh, some of you moviegoers. Um, this is what your native Springfielder said about God. Are you ready for this? Here's Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt says, I don't understand a God who says he is the best. That seems like an ego trip to me. It really makes no sense at all. And they give him a Academy Awards for his best acting when he says that. So there you go. But can you relate to Pitt's sentiment? Is that how you feel about God, perhaps, as we think about this baby who's the fully God, fully man in the manger? You know, we tend to want everyone to say that we ourselves are the best or our family is the best. But if you have an exalted view of God that we'll see today in Isaiah, then that just simply can't be the case. It has to be something different. As we see God as who he is, not who Brad Pitt says he is, we pray that we're able to see ourselves as we are. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, John saw this. He saw a very famous passage, and this is what it says. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is what? To come. That's right. These angels around the throne never stop saying that phrase. They are always praising God. But what about us? Does God expect us to do the same, to proclaim that he is the best? Don't you think that we have talents that need to be affirmed? I mean, we're people, right? We need to have motivation. We need to have uh, some things told about us that keeps us focused on what we do good. And, and don't you want folks to know you're good at what you do? And I think Pitt thought that too. Pitt's a very good actor. If you've seen his movies, he actually is a very talented actor. But friends, when it comes to seeing who God is and what he has done, you can't fake it because God will see right through it. You know, and that's a hard thing, isn't it? It's a hard thing to be exposed sometimes for who we are. Can you imagine Brad Pitt? Would you, would you pray for Brad Pitt today? I didn't put that in the notes, but would you pray for Brad Pitt today to come to know Jesus like Dale and Nancy came to know Jesus? Because friends, when we are seen by God as he sees us, then we need to see our hearts as they are. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves, well, you're the best. No, you're not too shabby. You're pretty good at yourself. You know, you got this going on. You, you know, you don't have to worry about what other people say. You really are the best. But friends, as we read through Isaiah, Christ and Isaiah, we will see ourselves as we are before the holy God. And that's where it takes us to our big idea today. Big idea is simply this. The best defense to the lies we hear from within our hearts is the rehearsal of truth. And what is that truth? It's a scripture. That's it. 
The best way to get a grip about what Christianity is about is to look at Jesus, the best God. The best way to understand who you are and I am is to look at Christ. And friends, if the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, then boy, you don't know what the best is all about. Or the best coffee, and I'm not even a coffee drinker, I can tell you that. And friends, if there's a God, and of course there is, we want to know what he sees as best about himself and how that relates to us as Christians or as people. So three things from Christ and Isaiah, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. We'll see, first off, that God is holy. God is holy. I think that's an easily established fact. We'll see, secondly, that God's holiness exposes us. It exposes us. And thirdly, we'll see that Christ forgives our unholiness. And aren't we grateful for that? This, the context here, we're jumping in a, a book kind of five, six chapters in. Uh, the king that we'll read about, Uzziah, had actually been a pretty good king. He had come to a point, though, where he had compared himself, after living for God all this time, to other kings. And he had let himself become the best and God not to be the best. And he decided he wanted to be both king and priest. And you can't do that. Back in the Old Testament, that's a recipe for trouble. And so he offered incense in the temple, and God struck him with leprosy. You, you know the skin disease. Uh, many of you are familiar with that. And similarly, the nation of Judah had professed to know that God is best with their mouths, but really all the time, kind of like Brad Pitt, they were like, yeah, no, I'm the best. We're the best. We got this down. God gave us 614 laws. Boy, we got all that ready to go. Are you feeling that way today? Maybe there's a point of pride in your life where you say, Pastor, I am the best at this. Have you submitted that to God? Friends, what I want to see is a baby, not just in a manger today, but I want to show you why he is the best, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords in every facet of everything in our lives today. Does it make sense to you that you were created to say this one phrase, God is best. God is best, and there's nothing else. He is the only one, or there is nothing. If not, then you may need to consider what we're about to read this morning. We do this at our church, uh, not out of tradition, but if you'll stand in honor of the Lord's word today, if you're able, uh, we just want to read seven verses, Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. And I will just say this at the off front, there is, you could spend weeks in this chapter. You could spend weeks in this chapter, and we're going to try and sum it up in 40, 42 minutes. Here's what Isaiah says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And verse 3, one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. Boy, this is the baby that we sing about. The fully God, fully man. This is Christ who Isaiah is seeing. And we'll unpack that. But isn't it great to know that Christ didn't just stay in a manger. But he died on the cross for our sin that we might have eternal life. Amen. 
It's what we're here to praise today. Let's go before the Lord as we look at how God is best, the Christ in Isaiah in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful this morning, and Lord, we thank you so much for the, the, the testimony of how you're working in the nations. Father, the testimony that John didn't say, I'm the best, but he pointed period after period to the only one Christ in his life. Father, we thank you for the baptism of Dale and Nancy who pointed, uh, you know, they are now on Team Jesus. It's not because of them, it's all because of you. Father, I pray in our lives, if there is anything that is holding on to a point of pride, that as we study the scripture, you may show us this one who was born of a virgin, born under the law, born at just the right time, your son, fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ, would expose our hearts and show us by your spirit and draw us not just to conviction, but to comfort knowing that our sins have been forgiven if we're in Christ, only in Christ. Father, thank you for that promise. We pray this all today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Maybe seated. You know, if you were to take a look at the history of Christians, and we will actually be studying some of these, what we call the attributes or character of God coming up in the spring. But the one attribute, if you can say such a thing, that is usually held up higher than all the things like love or mercy or whatever else God is, faithful, there's so many. The one that is usually held up the highest is his holiness. How many of you have always, or how many of you have ever read R.C. Sproul's famous book, um, I think it's just called Holiness, so I'm not mistaken, R.C. Sproul's Holiness of God. Has anyone ever read that before? A few hands go up. It's a great book if you want to read it. But the first thing as you come to God is that you must realize that God's holiness is completely separate from everything that we are. God has no, no, no tolerance for anything or anyone that would contradict his holiness. Uzziah had died, but the holy, holy, holy God was alive. God is the king of all. He's of other kings, of demons. He's not threatened by any way. God doesn't come up to an election year and say, man, I hope I get the nomination this year. He's God. God is majestic. He's high and lifted up. And God reveals that he is revered. He's worthy of reverence. Worthy of reverence. And yet if you look here in verses 1 and 3, you see he's holy. And you see these very odd creatures perhaps flying around. Many of your Bibles may have the phrase, the fiery ones, the seraphim, we call them. They are magnificent. They are mighty, they are sinless, and at their speech, the temple shakes. You imagine that picture. And these are great beings, they cover their eyes, they cover their feet, and they're around the resplendent glory of God, and all they can say are three things. Can you say it with me? Holy, holy, holy. But what are these things? What are these seraphs? Well, to be honest with you, we really don't know. We know we have pictures from Isaiah that kind of sorted out what a seraph looks like, or Ezekiel rather. You can go to the book of Revelation and find some info on them, but we really don't know. But it's difficult to nail them down. But the one thing you can, I think, deduct from the passage here is these are perhaps the most powerful and most holy of creatures God has ever made. How do you know that, Pastor? What, is that just an assumption? Well, look how close they are to the throne of God, guys. Look how close they are to God. And all they can do is cover themselves and say, holy, holy, holy. But closer to the throne of God than any other creature recorded in Scripture. If you are a Christian here today, does that sound boring to you? I had to ask myself that question, to be honest with you. Does the holiness of God just sound like, man, 
It's a seminary class. What are we doing? Friends, that's why the first application point is this Amy's going to put up on the screen. The essence of the Christian message is not behave, but behold. The essence of the Christian message is not behave, but behold. I mean, think about it. There's an old story of a missionary that lived in the Himalayas, and he had a young whippersnapper like myself beside him, just so excited to be in the mountains. And the, the young missionary is just looking out. Look at that mountain. It's like a little kid. Look at that. Look at that. And the old missionary is just over there sitting, sleeping. And he wakes him up. What are you doing, old man? He said, man, I've seen this a hundred times. It's all the same. Isn't it easy to lose the beauty of things? If you talk to friends in the Rocky Mountains, they'll say, yeah, those mountains are great. Friends, have you lost, Christian, have you lost the beauty of knowing that God is holy, holy, holy? And isn't it interesting that they say holy three times? The seraphim say this three times, and it just makes us wonder, why this three times? You know, there's so many things that can be said here, but do you know that God is never called love, love, love? He's never called faithful, faithful, faithful. He is those things, of course, but he is called holy, 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 because we are to behold him as he is. I mean, think about this. God has never had an unholy thought, ever. Wow. The one who was born in the manger, Jesus Christ, never had, he never sinned, he was sinless. He never makes an unholy joke, he, but he even laughs at the nations, and Psalms tells us, because they are uh, in confusion. His plans for the rise and fall of nations. Go read about the life of Nebuchadnezzar. This guy was taken down Jerusalem by one day, and he's eating grass the next. I mean, it's crazy. But God is so holy. But Christian, what do you think about this baby in a manger? Is he just a sweet, cuddly Jesus, or is he the holy, holy, holy God that we are here to worship this morning? But what is the holiness of God? I think that's a very, very good question. The holiness of God can mean several things, but it, it, it really just means separated. It means separate or separated, set apart from sin, set apart from anything that would defile him. And he was holy before there was any sin in this world. But I mean, think about this. How, how can he who's been holy only be holy unto himself? Friends, God is not like us. And I'll share more about that in a minute, but his holiness is so distinct from us that to even be in his sight, like Isaiah said, he had to cast a curse on himself because there's nothing he could do except trust in the forgiveness that was there. You know, we talk a lot about the churches in America today. We often so lay down, de-elevate the holiness of God that we lose who God is. God's holiness has been taken from this high and lofty separateness to just a common thing. But friends, this is the second application point. If you're here today and you say, I, I just can't relate to this God, I, I don't know him. Well, friends, that's probably because he's holy, but through Christ you can. Holiness not only means that God is morally pure, but it also means he's not common. God is not casual. God is not kick your boots up and, and this is who I am. God is to be taken seriously. And no matter what term you use to call him forth, you know the Bible says there's a word, raise your hand if you've heard it, Abba, Father, Heard that term before? Literally can be translated daddy. But that doesn't matter. Even if we have that great colloquial relationship with him, he's not common. He's not common or casual and never will be. You know, he is God. He's holy, holy, holy. You know, when you and I want to emphasize something, what do we do? If you have a smartphone, you probably bold it. You probably put it in all caps. You probably underline it. And I, what else am I missing in there? Italics. 
And uh, if you're a, a youth around here, you probably put it with some uh, those emoticon things, those weird-looking face things. You know, isn't that interesting? We will take time to really emphasize something over and over and over and over again. And that's what, exactly what God is saying here through Isaiah. The baby that was born during Christmas time is holy, holy, holy. Not love, love, love. Not merciful, merciful, merciful. Not nice, nice, nice. Not the doting grandfather that gives you health, wealth, and prosperity if you just believe hard enough. This is the God who is holy. The God who is holy. If you're a Christian here today, you say, Darren, I have lots of things going on in my life. How does the holiness of God relate to whatever problem I am facing right now? I want to tell you this. Your, this is the last application point. Your holiness is not dependent on your happiness. Your holiness is not dependent on your happiness. You can be holy and not be happy or vice versa. Friends, we live in a culture that says if you just, if you just try hard enough or if, if your ducks aren't in a row or if you're sick, you don't feel well, then you can't love God. Many of you know that's not the case. One reason we had Pete and Dolores come up here, many of you know Pete has been praying for, for healing for a, 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 a thing, a condition, or I'm not sure what the right word is there, an ailment, let's say that. And if you know Pete, you know that he has struggled literally through tears for years and years and years. And God has continually shown through this family that there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Because their trust isn't in here. Their trust is what God can do. Friends, you say, Darren, I, I, I want to be happy with my life. Praise God for that. But you know it starts with knowing the holy God. No matter if you are facing divorce today, no matter if you are facing uh, a shortfall of money, no matter if you are facing a, a broken relationship in your life, friends, you need to see exactly what Isaiah saw here. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. Christian, if you are here today and you are struggling mightily with where am I going to go with my life, you need to see a throne. You need to lift your eyes above your situation and trust that the holy, holy, holy God has everything under control. And you need to do what Peter said and cast your cares, literally throw your cares on him because he cares for you. Isn't it amazing that the holy, holy, holy God would even entertain our thoughts? If you agree with that, would you say amen if you think that's awesome? Wow. You say, Darren, how do you discover the holiness of God? Kind of goes back to that big idea. Because Satan, this world, will lie to you and say, you're the best. You have to figure this out. You have to do this. Friends, if you want to rediscover God's holiness in your life, it starts by renewing your mind in the scripture. As simple as it is, take a verse and just run it through your mind. Pray a verse. Read a verse. Study a verse. That's how you rediscover the holiness of God. Because when you see who he is in light of where we are, man, it all just pales in comparison. Isn't that amazing? God is good. You know, I heard about a story of a piano player. I'm not a piano player. Meg, I thought of you when this came up. This is a famous piano in London, but it's owned by a famous orchestra over there in London. And, you know, wouldn't you know that the Brits would do this? They're very good about this. They have, they have two guards that guard this, this piano. No one is to touch this piano. And there's a story I'm told, and I believe this is true, is in one of the papers there, that they won't let anyone get near the piano. But one day, a cute little preschool girl pigtails came up to the guard. And do you know what she asked the guard? She said that I can play chopsticks. I can do it actually really well. Would you like to hear it? 
And if you've ever been to Britain and seen those guards, you know, they just, they, they don't smile. You can make faces spit out. They are just, they're focused. And she asked the guard, and he said, do you want to play this? She said, really? Yeah, you can come over and play it. Guard looks around, lifts up the rope, and in she goes and starts playing chopsticks. She jumps over, she knocks those out, she jumps across, and she said, well, I guess a lot of people have wanted to do that, haven't they? And the guard said, well, actually, two of the most favorite, famous concert pianists alive today were here last week, and we asked them if they would like to sit down on a stool and play, and you know what they said? They bowed their heads and said they were not worthy to play that piano. Friends, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Isn't it amazing that this holy God has given us salvation, the opportunity for salvation in Christ? If you are here today, I don't, there is a healthy fear, uh, as the old Puritan said, a filial fear of who God is. God is not just some Casper ghost that scares you and jumps out of the closet. Uh, uh, ask Blake about a story he had like that this week. But you know, there are things that happen all the time. But friends, we must come to God knowing that we are totally dependent on him. Friends, he is the best because he's the only one that can be said he is the best. He is holy. Let's go to our second point. God is holy. God is also, God's holiness exposes us. Look back at verses 4 and 5. This God that we worship, especially Christmas time, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, that's Isaiah, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Many of you may have the phrase undone. It's the same effect. But basically, I think what Isaiah is telling us here, a very quick application point, is that apart from a biblical view of God, our greatest need is a biblical view of self, of who we are in Christ. You know, we are made in the image of God, the imago Dei of God. And this comes before any other identification, before our name, before our family, before our marriage, before our gender, our profession, our ethnicity, our nationality. Everything comes back to we are made in the image of God. Friends, this is why as Christians we stand against those who may discriminate. We stand against those who may discriminate. God himself has crowned each person, generally speaking, with his authority and for us to treat others with inequality is to place ourselves above God. And you know what? That's hard to flesh out because there's so many practical things you could go with that. But I just want you to know that as you pray for other people, especially this Christmas season, get that thought out of your mind that God, I am best because I am with God. Don't be like the, uh, the, the Pharisee or the publican who went up, and Blake, you shared this a couple weeks ago, in Luke and said, God, I give you my money. I'm so grateful I'm not like those sinners over there. And what did the tax collector do? Those of you who know the story, he went up and he started beating his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, you are here today. You are uniquely created in God. Young ladies, please do not buy your image from a magazine or some image that you see from what is on the internet or on the newsstands. Young men, please do not treat young ladies like an image you see on a computer screen or on a magazine stand. Friends, human beings are images. We only reflect whatever we're allowed to influence us. 
And God says right here that his holiness exposes us. It exposes us for who we are. But aren't you grateful that you are not just some random gobbledygook of, uh, of molten mass that came together over millions of years, that God has given you, even as a person, a unique name. Now, one of our son's favorite books, my wife could probably quote this here, uh, is uh, Almost Almost. What, what is it, babe? Almost Almost, but not quite. It's a book about two birds who go around and look at all the things in their neighborhood, and they just decide that everyone looks almost, almost alike, but they're not quite. Friends, I'm grateful that even though God's holiness exposes us, that we are uniquely created in God. Uniquely created in God. If you're struggling today with your self-image, can I ask that you'd find your image in who Christ is and what he has done? But who is Isaiah? Wasn't Isaiah a great man of God? I mean, this was a man who, who really had it all together, right? This was a prophet who preached more about Christ probably than any other prophet, verse by verse. Yet, he says here that he was undone. I mean, Isaiah was so sold out to God that he literally, tradition tells us, got sawed in half. Please do not get that picture in your mind. Just know that's what most likely happened. And yet, when he came to see God for who he was... Not just a cute, cuddly baby in a manger, but the God who is God through Christ. What did he do? Look back at verse 5. What did he do? And I said, woe is me. Woe is me. What is Isaiah doing? He is literally casting, pronouncing a curse on himself. Woe is a curse. He's literally saying, I am cut off or let me be cut off. Just end it all right here. Get it done, God. I've seen you for who you are. Get it done. Isn't it amazing that so many people in this country and so many churches come into the presence of God and get all jittery, some meow like cats, some bark like dogs, some literally will hang off chandeliers. Literally. Go look it up. It's crazy. It's craziness. And all at the same time, knowing that they are standing before a holy God. Now listen, is there joy in the Lord's presence? Friends, there better be joy in the Lord's presence. Amen? Is there joy in knowing who Christ is? You better believe there is than there should be. But Isaiah and his people have been exposed. They are unholy. They're worthy of judgment. And he says they have unclean lips. Perhaps they didn't praise God like they should have, like the seraphim. Or uh, uh, perhaps it's because God knows their heart. But I think the application point is simply this. Truth about God propels us to tremble. Truth about God propels us to tremble. What I mean by that is when God manifests or brings his glory down, that should happen in our lives. Christian, have you just stood in awe of God lately and said, wow? When was the last time you said, wow, to who God is? When was the last time at Christmas, not because of the lights, and those aren't bad, not because of the things that we do at Christmas necessarily, but when have you just thought about the thought that God himself, who is outside of time, came down at just the right time to die for a sinner such as me. What an amazing truth that is. You know, and there are times when we need to tremble before him. We should tremble about who God is, but there's also times of joy. Friends, there's also times of joy. You know, I've talked to several people on the streets over the years, and, uh, you know, I remember one of my good friends who is a good, just a good man, good Christian man, he asked one of them, why are you jumping around all the time? Why are you just jumping around? He said, you shouldn't be. And they said, why? We want to be joyous before the Lord. And he said one phrase that always stuck out in my mind. 
He said, because you've never trembled before the Lord. Friends, don't let American Christianity inform who God is for you. God is not Buddy Jesus. Uh, many of you, I think I've mentioned this before, up in Liberty many years ago. I'm looking at my Liberty folks here. There used to be a big statue of Jesus. Do you guys remember this? Just north of here, off 35, Pleasant Valley. Friends, we don't worship an idol Jesus. We worship the God who came to us in Christ and gave his life for us. And yet is accessible through the mediation, the work of his son. He is totally other than us. You know, let me put it this way. Youth who are here in the summer, we gave this illustration before Matt came. So grateful Matt's here because you guys, you guys have way more energy than I do, youth. But I'm going to ask you this. If you had two things, I want to ask you, congregation, show of hands, which is closer to God? Imagine there's a toilet bowl, and in that toilet there is the toilet stuff, whatever that is, right? If yours is clean or not clean, that's up to you. That's your life, but there's stuff in the toilet. And then there's an angel. I want to ask you a question. Which is more like God, the angel or the toilet stuff? How many of y'all would say the angel? Some of you are very timid, right? Pastor, what are you doing here? How many of y'all would say the toilet stuff? A few hands. How many aren't sure? <laughs> Most hands go up. Friends, neither. Neither are like God. God is totally separate. He's not like either one. Think about that the next time you clean your toilet, and that may be today. He's totally other than us. He's totally different. He's totally unsearchable, totally holy. And church, we need to rediscover that because we need to remember that as we worship God, it is, exposes us for who we are, and we need to see that. If you're not a Christian here today, one day you will stand before God in judgment. I do not want this to be a slicked hair back 1950s pounding pulpit preacher. With all respect to those men, they did great work. But what I do want to communicate to you is the reality, if you're not a Christian here today, that God sees all, he knows all. And he knows that you need to come to Christ. One day, all of our invisible thoughts will be brought before him. If it's a DVD or a Blu-ray or whatever God does, great. But your real likes, your dislikes, your lusts, your dissatisfactions, everything about who you are will one day be exposed, non-Christian. I'm so glad you're here. But the only way to know and be on the right side of God is to know him as holy, holy, holy. And to repent and believe the gospel that Jesus Christ is the only thing. Otherwise, you will be exposed like Isaiah. You will be ruined and you will be undone. You will be undone. Go ahead and have Amy put this up. John 12, 41 says this. You can read the greater context, but is this the same baby that we worship in Christmas time? This is John 12, 41. John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. Wow. Does that change your Christmas a little bit, hopefully? I pray it does. Maybe you've heard it a million times, but I pray it changes who you worship this, this year. How did God create the world? It was through his son. How has God the Father revealed himself through the world? Because no one has seen the Father. It's through the son. How has the Father redeemed us? It's through the son. How does the Father reign? It's through the Son who's sitting on his throne. And what I want you to know, you can find Isaiah in the six Gospels. And what on earth are we talking about? We are talking about the fact that from Genesis to Revelation, it is all about Christ. All about Christ. And what an amazing thing that we can worship through. Friends, 
as we talk about our church, as we pray through our church stuff, as we talk about where this church is headed, as we become gospel-centered, it all goes back to holy, holy, holy God. Fathers, today, have you allowed your work as a husband or a father, maybe even a grandparent, become lackadaisical? Have you forgotten that you don't just answer to your wife or the people around your wife or her best friends or what your children, that husbands, you answer to a holy, holy, holy God? Wives, here today, you are to be under submission of your husband in a biblical way, not in some domineering way. That's a whole other sermon. But have you considered that your submission to the Lord begins with knowing that Christ is holy, holy, holy? Maybe you're a widow here today. Maybe you're a widower. I don't know. But have you considered that in these latter years of your life, or maybe they're not the latter years, but that God is holy, holy, holy. And that informs how everything that you do, everything that you do. So we've seen God is holy. God's holiness exposes us, and gratefully and lastly, Christ forgives us of our unholiness. Christ forgives our, that should say, unholiness on the slide. I didn't put that on there. Verse 6, Isaiah goes on, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for, is what the ESV says. Friends, the seraphim not only flew around this God that we worship, but they also brought a burning coal. And this was to be a a sacrifice, if you will, and proclaim that his sin was done. It was atoned for. It was taken care of. Because God is holy. He requires a sacrifice. This is why you and me, I had a guy uh, on the streets one time. He said, said, Darren, why can't I just die for the sins of humanity? Because of point number two, you've been exposed. There was only one uniquely qualified to die for our sins, and that was the man, Christ Jesus, but also the God-man, fully God, fully man, second in the Trinity, the high and lifted up one. His name is Jesus. And he knew, that man, that he was in trouble because he himself could not die for someone else. You know, a good question comes up, well, why couldn't one of the seraphim have just died? Why couldn't they have been? Friend, because there's only one unique qualified one, and that is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 3 through 6 says this, Christ was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded or pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him, that's Christ, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. If you're not a Christian here today, we're so thankful you're here. But let me just throw the statement up on the screen. On the day of judgment, even the most consecrated Christian who ever walked the planet will only have grace to vouch for him. Christian here today, don't forget that you don't live by your own strength. Don't forget that you, you don't live by your own strength, rather. If you're not a Christian here today, there is nothing you can do to save yourself from your sins. You can't be, baptism, as Nelson so eloquently said, is not a savior. It's a symbol of what Christ has done. You can be good works and try and do those good works, but you're going to have the same problem that Isaiah had. You're going to be undone. 
Your whole life will come undone. And on that day, your sins will be made plain. And God must punish sin. If you go to our website, towerofukc.com, we had an excellent question from a uh, person here and asked the pastor question, is, excuse me, is God a God of wrath? Yes, he is, but he's also equally and thankfully a God of love. We can't cherry pick his attributes. They all work in unison together. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, turn to Christ. He's a lovely Savior. He will open, he will ask you to lay down your sin, he will take you as you are, but you must be ready to be exposed to his holiness. You must be ready. Christian, can I just ask you very simply, second application point, do you take the gospel for granted? Have we taken the gospel for granted? Especially this time of year, you know it rolls around once a year, doesn't it? Well, we're going to celebrate who Christ is, but do you take the gospel for granted? Realize today, Christian, anew how he died for you, how he gave his life for you. The same passion, especially talking to the young people here, that you get at a youth camp or a conference or something like that with all the flashy lights and all the great gizmos. And Matt, I'm glad you don't do this in youth, but the fog machines that come up. Friends, those are not your motivation. If you need to take those home and help you worship God with those, check your heart. Christian, if you are not as on fire more today with what God has done in the gospel, then we may need to go before this God and confess that you have become lukewarm, that I have become lukewarm, that we perhaps have become lukewarm. Christian, again, what do you think about the holiness of God? He has taken your sin and made you holy. When he looks at you, he sees Christ and Christ crucified. The right, as Luther said, the alien righteousness that is not ours has been laid on us. So grateful for that. So grateful for that. I'm going to skip some of my notes here. Because I'm warm up here. I don't know if you're warm out there. So, yes. And everyone said, amen. Friends, but does it seem like an ego trip here to say that God is best? Could we say with Brad Pitt that that's just crazy? How could you ever think about that? God's holiness shows us that this baby that came and was born among us is no one, just another baby. He is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, consider the showdown one day. Have you ever known someone to say, you know, Pastor, I'm going to walk in there one day and I'm going to show God who he is. I'm going to show him and he's going to look at me and I'm going to look at him and I'm going to set him in your his place. One famous preacher said it this way, you will be like a, a wax figurine before a blast furnace on that day. I don't know what a blast furnace is, but it doesn't sound good. But I can tell you that I get the, I, you get the picture, don't you? On one hand is me, me, me. On the other hand is God before whom the fiery ones must cover their face. Friend, who deserves your praise today, you or him? I pray that you make him best in your life. Close with this illustration. Once heard about a seminary student who uh, was talking to a very pr famous preacher, and the student was afraid that he was too bad to enter the ministry. I think any pastor has those thoughts. And he sent a message to this preacher, and he said, I think I'm too wicked to be in the ministry. I mean, I've committed worse sins than the people perhaps I'm going to be leading. And the famous preacher wrote back to him and said, you're right. It's <laughs> great encouragement, isn't it? In fact, you don't know how wicked you are. And the young man replied simply, well, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> but the famous preacher had some wise words. He said, friend, your heart is for the Lord, and your life is lived in service to him, and your level of 
sanctification and commitment puts me, the, the preacher, to shame at times. But I'm happy, and you're not. Do you know why? And this is the catch, he said. Because I have chosen to trust in Christ, and you are still, in part at least, trying to trust in yourself and in Christ. The problem with most people today is not that they don't know who Christ is, perhaps. That's definitely there. But that they have not reached the place where they are stop trusting themselves and start trusting Christ. Friend, the big idea goes through this whole sermon. This whole sermon is that you need to refresh your heart in the scriptures this week. Has your view of Jesus been determined by the culture around you this holiday season? Or has the Bible informed you that it is Christ and this holy, holy, holy God that is above all, that is the one we worship? Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we are reminded today just how grateful we are. And Father, we are so, so grateful. Lord, thank you for the strength to finish this message. Thank you for the strength to be able to talk today. Father, I don't want this to be a Debbie Downer sermon that shouldn't be. Father, if there are Christians here today, I pray that you would enliven them with your spirit. You would encourage them and, and edify them, Lord, knowing that though sinful they are, that you have redeemed them. Father, let that be the message. No matter what presence may come along, no matter what may happen this holiday season, no matter what situation they're in, may Christ, who's holy, 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 the one who Isaiah saw, be the one that they worship. Father, I pray that for our church. I pray that, Lord, even as we enter the darker days of winter, the colder days, Father, in a few weeks, that you would help us to remember that we're not just here to get a lift or a boost. We're here to worship you. Father, certainly those things will come as we worship you. But, Father, we pray that it's all about you. Father, we pray for any non-Christians here today. So thankful, so, so thankful you've brought them. But, Father, at the same time, we pray that you would help them to see that without knowing how exposed they are and seeing you for who you are and themselves for who they are, they truly cannot come to know you. Father, be with any families here facing issues with problems. Lord, you know what's needed. But we thank you that you are able to supply more above and beyond what we can ask or think, even in the hardest circumstances, because you are the God there's none like. And we thank you for that confidence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.